glad we get to worship the Lord today. Um, we're going we're gonna to be continuing our series in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be in Isaiah 14, starting at verse 24. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, before we do, just wanted to make sure you know that um, Tuesday from 6 to 7.30, correct? Uh, we're going to have a, a parents' night. We'd like you to RSVP for that. You can use the, the email link. And there's going to be a, a forum, a panel discussion on um, how we disciple our children. Um, and some of uh, our own parents from our church will be on that panel and talk about what that looks like for their family. Um, we are all striving to be um, better parents together. So if you have not yet attained the level of perfection in parenting, I know there might be some of you in here, maybe consider joining us on Tuesday night. Uh, that definitely includes me. I will not be on the panel. I'll be here to listen uh, to the panel and hopefully cheat and do what they're doing and be better as a parent. Um, there will be childcare available um, but you gotta, you gotta RSVP for that. So um, look for that link to sign up. We encourage you to be here. We'd love to have you here with us. All right. Um, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. We're just gonna read four verses right now. The Lord of hosts has sworn... As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Let me pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that this is your word, the word of the Lord. We pray that we would hear it that our hearts would be confronted by it and comforted by it. We pray, God, for the help of your Holy Spirit to listen, not just to hear, to actually see what is being presented to us. We need your help in this, Lord Jesus. Amen. So uh, if you've been with us, um, you know I've, I've skipped ahead a couple of chapters. and uh, We were in Isaiah chapter 12 last week. And what follows, starting in Isaiah 13, is all the way through 20, really, is a, a whole segment of judgments that Isaiah pronounces on lots of people, other nations, usually. Um, it ends, uh, ends up talking about a judgment being proclaimed on Israel, too. But this particular section is a judgment uh, proclaimed on Assyria. And so instead of going through each individual judgment on each individual nation. We'll talk about all of them together um, because ultimately the themes are the same. 
So here in this particular passage, Isaiah is telling Assyria, remember, uh, if you've forgotten, Assyria is the nation that's about to come in and cause lots of problems for Israel to the north. They're really scary. They are bullies to the extreme. Everybody is afraid of them. But God is telling Assyria and he's telling Israel about Assyria that God is going to take care of the big bad bullies in the neighborhood and that one day God will deliver Israel and he will punish Assyria. And that's similar to the message that he gives to lots of people in these chapters, Moab, Egypt, Philistia, and the nation, list of nations is longer than that. The message is, I've seen what they're doing, I've seen what they're going to do, and I'm going to take care of them. Assyria is given this message, and Israel is given this message about Assyria. And you can hear the absolute certainty this is going to happen. What Israel is being reminded is that God is sovereign. That's the word that we use to describe what uh, the vision of God is being portrayed here. God is sovereign. He is sitting on the throne. He is holding all the cards. He has all the power. And so he's saying, what I have determined to do will be accomplished. It will happen. Says, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, this message that God is sovereign over all things, that He is sovereign over all of history, it for many times in many people, it's very troubling. Because if God is sitting on the throne and He is sovereign over everything, then how do you explain what's going on around us? Because everything doesn't seem to reflect the fact that God is sitting on the throne and he is in charge. You know, we just prayed together, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when we're praying that, we're saying and we're confessing things are not as they should be. So how can we pray that in one minute and read a verse that says, actually, God is in charge and he will do exactly what he has said he will do. So it's troubling at times because it seems out of line with what we see around us. It can also be troubling because you hear it and you say, yeah, but what about all of these people that are involved? What about all the ways that we're supposed to make good choices? What about, doesn't my choice in the matter matter? It seems like only God's choices matter here. He's saying, I will accomplish this. And if there's a ton of people, nations worth of people who are making their own choices, how can we possibly hear words like this, that his choices, his plans, his purposes will be accomplished and you cannot stop it? That seems like I get sidelined, you get sidelined, all the choosing that we're supposed to choose doesn't really matter if God is just saying, 
I'm going to do what I have chosen to do. God's sovereignty challenges us in our own self-understanding, and it challenges us to trust that he actually is just and good and true. And for Israel, you have to kind of think to the people who are hearing this. Because God is not telling Israel, hey, I'm going to deal with your enemies tomorrow. He's not giving them any sort of timeline. He's not saying, like, if you circle this date on your calendar, by this date, this is when it will happen. He's just saying, it's going to happen. I will accomplish my plans and purposes. And the reality is, because we have history books, we can look and see that the people who heard this prophecy probably died without ever seeing it fulfilled. And it's quite possible not only they died, but their children died and their grandchildren died and nobody saw the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so Israel is not being given this promise and saying, now wait five minutes, you're definitely going to see it come true. They are instead left waiting. Hey, when are you going to do this thing? So when we come to Christmas time, Christmas is coming soon. I assume that some people in this room care that Christmas is relatively close. And what is today? It's exactly two months from today. How, how convenient. I didn't even realize that. Today is October 25th. December 25th is two months away. I'm not going to count down how many days that is for you. Nobody needs that anxiety in church. It's two months away. I assume that many of us are excited about that. If you are excited about Christmas being here relatively soon, would you raise your hand? Many smaller hands. Also some big ones. That's great. Christmas is exciting. It's on the calendar. It's definitely coming. When you're a child, you don't necessarily understand how days and calendars work. So you're living in what is seemingly unending anticipation, when is it ever going to be here? Well, it's exactly the number of days on the calendar that I have told you every single day and is getting one day smaller every day. I don't know why this is so difficult. But when you're a child, you can't see that. You're just living in the agony of anticipation. And at least when we have that, we have a calendar that tells us when that day is coming. And Israel has no calendar. They are just waiting for God to do what he said he will do. When we talk about God's sovereignty, when we talk about him sitting on the throne and accomplishing exactly what he has chosen to accomplish and to do what we want him to do, we are entering into the territory of mystery. We are entering into a dark room where we have to kind of feel our way along the walls. And we have to trust that the news we've heard is good and it will happen. So first, when we are challenged in God's sovereignty and we look at the world around us, it is natural to ask the question, how can this be true and the world that I see around me is the way that it is. And what I would tell you is though that same feeling that you are feeling 
is the, is the feeling that Israel had all the time. And I can prove it to you. It's called the book of Psalms. If you'll read the book of Psalms, you could probably at this very moment flip open to a random psalm and it will probably have questions just like that question. Almost a third of the psalms are asking repeatedly, you said the world would be like this, how come it is like this instead? You said you're sitting on the throne. How come then the evil triumph, the good suffer? Where are you? And when God puts those prayers into the text of Scripture, He is telling you that faithful, trusting people who are confused and in the dark in the room, you're okay. He can handle your questions and your dis-ease is okay, it is natural, it is normal, and you should do something with it. You should confess it to him. You should talk to him about it. And when you read these psalms of questions and mistrust and not being quite sure of how things are going to work out, they, the final piece of those psalms is usually, okay, I don't understand it, but I believe that you will do it. So if you are feeling uncomfortable with this idea that God has said he will take care of the bad guys and you don't see the bad guys being taken care of, the Psalms are for you and you have not fallen off the pages of the Bible. Secondly, if you are feeling uncomfortable with the idea that God gets to choose what he will choose and he will accomplish it, whatever you think that your part should be, when Israel hears this news, they are profoundly comforted. They are comforted that God is saying, my plan does not go off the rails. They don't have the inhibitions. They don't have the pushback. They don't have the concerns. But what about my personal autonomy? What about my personal part to play? What they see is an enemy that they cannot overcome. And a God who has pledged and promised, I will overcome them. I will defeat them. I will crush them. And Israel takes profound comfort that they cannot themselves get God off of the rails of history and turn over his plan. What does that mean for Israel and what does it mean for us? It means that we have to feel very, very, very small. Everything in our world is telling us, you are a big deal. You are a very big deal. You are the biggest deal. You are the biggest deal that can, that can matter in the whole world, especially your world. But passages like these zoom out way, way, way into the big picture. And you and I are actually very, very, very small. We are too small to be able to divert the path of history from a God who is infinitely larger and wiser and more powerful and more kind and more just and more merciful. 
and we can take hope and take heart, not fully understanding how that all works out, but trusting that the God of the universe is on our side. Now, if you are hearing that, you might be saying, well, yeah, but what if you're an Assyrian? How does this sound? The answer is, not great. Not great. Right? It's pretty troubling. And if you read all of these chapters, you'll see that all of Israel's enemies ultimately get to be on the other side of this, though they might be in control and in power then. And it's constantly God promising, I'm going to deal with them, and I'm going to deal with them, and I'm going to deal with them too. And if you're looking at this and asking, yeah, but that's a lot of other people. Unless you forget, Israel is also receiving this news. The news seems to be, for everyone, God is going to judge you. Egyptian, Assyrian, Moabite, Philistine, Israelite, God is going to judge you. But this is not the end of the story that Isaiah foresees. In Isaiah chapter 19, at the end, he addresses both Israel, Egypt, and Assyria. And I'm just going to read to you just the last few verses of chapter 19. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come to Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Which didn't happen. Everybody has their own gods. Everybody's separated from one another. There is no back and forth. Nobody goes and hangs out at each other's houses. Nobody likes each other. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, listen what God says. Blessed be Egypt, my people. Blessed and Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, my inheritance. On the other side of God's sovereign judgment, Isaiah sees a day when people like Egypt and Assyria will join hands with the people of Israel. And all of them will be on the other side of judgment and instead be in the house of worship together wherever they are. The question then lingers in the book of Isaiah, how and when does this happen? And in Isaiah 14, in the passage that we just read, God gives us a clue. Because he says, I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot. Many, many, many years later, the rescuer of Israel the Lord of hosts himself will walk up the hilly paths of Jerusalem onto the tops of the mountains of his people. And he, the Lord of hosts, the sovereign ruler over all the nations, will be enthroned on a cross. And over him will be the, the appearance of all of God's angry judgment. And all the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Israelites' judgment will come on him. And on those mountains, he will trample under his foot the power of evil and darkness. 
and he will make a way for the enemies of God to be brought into the house of God, to be a part of the people of God. The God who is sovereign over all of history, his sovereignty is best seen in the ways that he absolutely accomplishes exactly what he has purposed to accomplish in the way that his son is born. And he lives in this place. And he accomplishes exactly what he sought to accomplish. And Jesus goes right to the place of judgment. And he enters into judgment on the judgment seat and receives the judgment that God has foretold. And God's sovereign will is exactly played out, unstoppable, unchanging, unconquerable. And Jesus breaks the back of the enemies of the peoples of the earth forever. The sovereign rule and reign of God is our comfort because we see him as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the one who absolutely, fully accomplishes all that he said he would do and fulfills all of his promises and presents himself as the Lord of hosts, the deliverer of all people. So now the highway runs right to the foot of the cross. This morning, if you are challenged and disturbed by the idea that somebody other than you sits on the throne, that you are not in the one who is in control, I present to you a better ruler than you or me. His name is Jesus. And he invites you this morning to give up your desperate grasping for power and come worship him because he's better than you at that job. And if you are at sea, if you are concerned, if you are anxious, if you are fearful, if you just do not understand how we can say that God sits on the throne, if the world is like this, putting us in church with masks on and the world on fire, how can it possibly be that we could trust a God who claims to be on the throne in a world like this, the invitation is the same. Come and see the crucified and risen Jesus. He is the one that you can trust. So that even if you don't know in the darkness of this room, if you don't understand how that all works out, you can see the crucified and risen Jesus and say, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I didn't see the cross coming either. I didn't see how you're going to deliver us. But I didn't see the cross coming either. I don't know how you're going to fix all of this. But I can see you on the cross. And I know you can fix this thing too. You don't have to have all the answers. Your heart can be broken open and question and fear. And you can come to the crucified and risen Jesus and say, You, I can trust. I can trust you. I don't even know like a muster the how I can trust how you're going to do it, but I can trust you. This morning, if you are troubled or you are comforted, come find Jesus. And he will show you the way. He will show you himself. The answer to the hope of the nations. The sovereign ruler of all history who has summed up history in himself and presented himself as deliverer and king. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you for this word. We thank you that you fulfill your promises, that you will take care of all the evil bullies in the world, that you see the things that terrorize us, that plague us, that enslave us, and you've pledged yourself that you will, that you will deliver us. And God, we thank you that you have struck the mortal blow in your own death and resurrection. God, I pray that you will help us to trust you, that we would freely and openly give the reins of our life over to you, and that, God, we would take our comfort in knowing that you will do what you've said. Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to feel comfortable being smaller and smaller before you, giving to you our fears, our mistrust. Bring us to a place of deeper and deeper trust in you, Lord Jesus. You are most trustworthy of anyone we've ever met. We thank you, God. Amen.